Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Minerva's Hypnotism Handbook. Boss giving you the business? Missing the mystery to capture your charisma? Minerva's Hypnotism Handbook will unlock the secrets to put them in a trance at a glance and allow effortless persuasion without any pesky negotiation. Enthrall your enemies and enslave that glimmer in your eye with the power of hypnotism. Minerva's Hypnotism Handbook. Save your regrets for tomorrow. Remember me when I am gone away. Gone away into the silent land. What strange things roll down our streets when we sleep? Hide under the blankets. Clutch your dollies tight. Coalfinger comes for you to stuff you in a dirty bag. Was Ivy Anna abducted, or was she just having a nightmare? Somewhere in her violent nightmares, Madame Viola lost her sister, and had Pumble ask Hughes to take a look in his spare time, now that he was taking a break from the constabulary. Maisie took Mr. Fitz to Pedigree's doll hospital and had him fixed right up. Back to news so she could make her weekly drop of secrets to the D.O.C. What's the secret Edmund is so chuffed about, hiding under the sheet in his entryway? What caused Charity's eye to twitch over lunch, her elbow launching a spoon into the mock turtle soup? Cold soup is what Inspector Bennett choked down for breakfast and it made him grumpy. Hughes had reached out to him with a name, Vivian Voldat, 
a missing sister to Madam Walker. He'd ask him to see if there was anything in the records. He tried another hot tea to settle his stomach when a casually dressed Hughes strolled up to his desk in the morning clatter. Inspector! Bennett leaned back and nodded. Hughes? Have a change of heart? He gestured to a doll sitting on his desk and a torn page from a book. Stroud hasn't made up his mind yet. If you come clean, I think he'll forget it. Until then, I can't do anything about your suspension, Bennett pleaded. Hughes shook his head. Not as such. Anything come up on the name, Vivian? Fold that? Bennett moved some papers around and pulled out an old folder. He opened it. Yes, he said. I found this. Vivian Voldat. An incomplete record. Some medical history. Several examinations starting as a girl. Diagnosed with hysteria. Neurasthenia. Prescribed bed rest and a tincture of potassium bromide. Then it says she was sent away. Hughes seemed surprised. The workhouse? He asked. No. Bennett shook his head. He dropped the file open and tapped his finger on the word. Ludlow, he said. Ludlow? Hughes asked. Are you sure? Bennett nodded. Viola wants this? I'm not sure you should tell her. Maybe you should make something up. Ludlow? The madhouse? I would figure it was closed. Originally it was a treatment center, but then for a time an orphanage and laundry. Then closed as far as I remember. There's no other records here. I hate to say this, but I think she's probably died there. There might be a grave. I wouldn't even know how to get there. Just a general idea. It was more of a ghost story when I was a kid. Not a real place. Same for me. I haven't heard that place since I was a little fella. Some of the older men mentioned lockups being sent there. Well, thanks, Inspector. I'm going to let Pumble know and give him a good warning not to go looking for trouble. Hopefully that will be that. Hughes, I appreciate what you did in the plum situation. If I can help at all. Hughes nodded. Held the hand of the doll on the desk for a moment and then made his way back to the park row. Deliver the news. He walked up the steps at Lavendula as a long line of carriages waited to drop off well-dressed crowd for the evening party at Mulberry. Edmund Green had custom invitations sent out, inviting everyone for the big reveal. Charity Suter had put Enoch to an early bed and fit into the new dress Edmund had bought for the party. She had an ostrich feather in her hairband and adjusted her sleeves to try to look a little proper. Navigating the conversations around being Enoch's governess and Edmund's former love interest was going to make the night a little challenging. The well-to-do set were intimidating, and Charity had felt uneasy about Edmund keeping secrets from her. She liked surprises, but not so much when she felt out of her element. She skipped dinner and started on the kava early, carefully nibbling on strawberries as she readied herself. Downstairs, the guests filled the parlor and drawing room and entryway. Anytime someone tried to lift the sheet to get a peek, Edmund would rush over and lightly slap a hand, scolding and then easing off with a joke. 
He had a white glove servant guarding the case as everyone drank custom cocktails for the evening. Charity made her way down the stairs and Edmund loudly introduced her to a small group she descended. She grabbed another kava off a tray and made her best small talk with a flurry of introductions to various textile industry and society folks. After two more kavas, Charity positioned herself next to a pillar, just in case she needed to steady herself. She had been coerced into smoking from a long cigarette holder and was in a deep conversation about the evolution of the opera and the current run of shows down on Theater Row. Right as everyone was just slipping to the natural end of the conversation, Edmund ascended partway up the stairs, lording over the sheet in the hallway. A bell rang, and people packed into the entryway. Everyone, everyone, he shouted. It has been some exciting weeks here at Mulberry. We are so happy to welcome Enoch and Charity into this home, where they have provided a good deal of warmth and charm. Everyone clapped. Hear, hear! As some might have heard, there was a little fiasco out in our park, and I thought very hard to commemorate these events that have brought us all together. Additionally, I realized after Charity arrived that I myself am lacking in a good deal of culture, and Mulberry is lacking in art and decoration. That's because Agatha Fulcrum stole it all, someone shouted from the back. Pipe down, you rascal. Edmund shouted. Everyone had a good laugh. He clearly had had several brandies, but seemed happier than usual. There was a gleam in his eye tonight. He was excited, and being around everyone seemed to ignite him. As I was saying, we need some art and culture here at Mulberry. And so at great expense, I made my first real art purchase. Well... Technically on loan from a very exclusive dealer. After it stays here at Mulberry, it will of course go to the museum. But I give you all. With that, he yanked at a gold cord and pulled the sheet back over on the stairs. It revealed the museum case, brightly polished. The glass was tinted and had been painted to look as if it was underwater. There were light green underlights within. The crowd gasped and then shoved in to get a closer look. Inside the glass case, suspended a set of old bones, decrepit and dyed black. Tatters of clothing hung off of them. There were leather straps attached to the feet and a leather strap around the face. The bones had been positioned as if they were floating under the water, just leaning back with the arms flailing out. Under the display was a brass plate with the words inscribed... Here lie the remains of Owen McCleary, asleep in inventive dreams. It started as whispers, then titters and chatter. And then one guy shouted out, positively gruesome, in total elation. They loved it. Older members trying to remember the story and relate what this actually was. A garish detail set in the entryway for everyone to look upon. Come by whenever you want to glance at it, sketch it. A reminder of ambition, of success and failure. A what-do-you-call-it charity? A memento mori to us all. He raised a toast, slammed his glass, and stepped down into the crowd to answer questions and soak up all of the excitement and adoration. Charity was repulsed. As soon as she realized what it was, she turned away. 
steadied herself on a small table meant to hold letters. She felt ill. Edmund made his way over to her, and she brightened for a moment. What do you think? he asked. Charity tried to be neutral. It's quite something. A little gory, don't you think? For the entryway? Edmund dismissed her concern. It's art, isn't it? It's bold. I figured you'd think it was compelling. Uh, yes, compelling. But it may be a bit too strong. Ah, I see. Well, he leaned in. You could smell the brandy. My wife could affect such decisions and decorate how she pleases. But my governess does not have such influence, he winked at her. Perhaps that's food for your thinking. He rolled around and embraced a couple men from the club who congratulated him. Charity looked again at the case, at the bones floated under glass, at the lights looking to shift like the undulation of water, at that dark pond just down the hill. Something vibrated deep inside of her. Her toes and fingers started to tingle. She grew dizzy. She grabbed onto the side of her dress to try to steady herself, but she started to see double. Her hand shut out to the table, knocking it over. But the party had grown so loud, no one noticed. A migraine shot through her temple and rounded the back of her skull, throbbing behind her teeth. She lurched for the stairs, barely made it up a flight, stumbled in through her door into the end of her bed where she collapsed. As she slipped downward, she heard the crack of her ring finger as it snapped backwards, and she yelped outward as she slipped unconscious to the floor. The palsy plagues my pulses. When I prig, your pigs are pulling. Your culvers take or matchless make. Your chanticleer is sullen. In that night, away from the noise, in a blank room in the city, a curtained window hid shadows around the edges. A simple lamp with a flitting wick stood atop an ornate dresser very old and heavy wood carved claw feet. Its second drawer pulled out partway, padded with blankets and a pillow, a bed just large enough for a girl too smart for her own good. Her ash coat and black trilby hanging off a drawer knob. She sat up in her nightgown against the pillow, Mr. Fitz, her doll, leaning against the side with a sallow expression. Maisie held a small wax cylinder recorder in her lap. A black machine with gold trim. Small, delicate gear works turning the lathe and needle carving into the wax. She talked into the horn, a somewhat truncated diary of the events of the last few days. She pulled the cylinder out, slipped it into a metal can, affixed the lid, and placed it on top of the dresser next to the wrapped blossom of oleander Mr. Pedigree had given her. She packed up the recorder, gave a long stare into Mr. Fitz's eyes, wished him good night, and then snuffed the lamp. She snuggled under her blankets and dozed off. Later in the night, as the cold trickled in through the drafts in the old house, Maisie rolled over and pulled up another blanket and wrapped Mr. Fitz in the corner. The chill increased as the sounds outside succumbed to the muting of the beating of blood in her ears. 
A faint rustling of leaves. A creak. Was that a footstep? The wind whipped up into a howl, a cry. Was that the blood in her ears or the rumbling of a low metallic fire? A creak of iron. A rumble seat. Slamming of a loose door. Was that trash or a dirty bag dragged against the ground? A loud rush and scraping. And then silence. Maisie stirred for a moment, stopped to listen, to hear something. Did she smell something? Was that smoke, or just the remnants of the oil lamp? As if a whisper, heartbeat, more howling, and bag tumbling down the street, leaves, cold hand reached for her from the dark. Calloused fingers clenched over her mouth before she could scream. She tried to claw and kick, but was shoved into a rancid canvas sack that smelled of soot and dead tobacco. She choked on it and had just a few moments to claw for Mr. Fitz before the bag closed. She was tipped upside down and thunked hard on the floor, dragged up and out the window where she felt the cold night air, and she clutched to Mr. Fitz and she was dragged away in a cloud of smoke. The palsy, the palsy plagues, plagues my pulses. When I, when I prig, your prigs are pulling. Your culvers take or matchless make. Your scent to clear a sullen. sullen. Was this just a nightmare? One made of coal and smoke? Was this just a scary tale or something very real with real monsters? Was this all a dizzy nightmare from migraines and old bones dug up for spectacle? Memory can be funny that way. Do our dollies go away to come back and steal us in the night? Or do they hold us tighter still? Do they need us more than we need them? The palsy plagues my pulses. When I prig, your pigs are pulling. A cold howl on a summer night. Down a dark street dragging behind it some forgotten memories and a few names. Maybe if you hold your doll close and keep your eyes shut, you'll wake up safe and warm in your own bed on the next episode of Celine.
Would you like a ticket to enjoy the revelry of Noon Night Affair? Our Patreon is a place where you can see all the sordid savagery and indecent decadence of the mysteries of our fair city. Want some answers for once? Solve the mysteries and share never-before-heard stories, music, and spectacles. Come be a part of Moonlight Affair, Silent Treatment, and Selene with the other spirits again and again and again and again and again and again and again.